Welcome to the Ramp Church Podcast. We are so honoured that you've joined us today and we pray that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website ramp.church forward slash mcr or find us on social media. Now let's head straight into this week's message. Bibles to the book of Psalms, and we're going to go to Psalm 29. I'm going to do something just a little unusual for me in terms of the message format, and that is I would like to walk through this psalm and simply highlight different verses and apply them to our lives in discipleship. The reason I say that format's a little different for me is because I don't typically do that, just take a psalm or take a chapter and just walk through each verse and highlight different things. Usually messages tend to be a little more topical or theme-driven rather than just walking through um, a particular chapter or psalm together. But this morning, I just felt led for us to do this. And the theme this morning is the necessity of hearing God's voice. The necessity of hearing God's voice. You know, as we begin to grow in the Christian life and as we get around other believers, sometimes we hear language such as God spoke to me or I felt the Lord leading me to do such and such. And if we're not careful, we'll hear those phrases and put them into a category of the spiritual elite. And we'll think to ourselves, hearing the voice of God is a luxury for people who happen to be gifted in that way. And what I want to say to you this morning is this. Hearing the voice of God is not a luxury, it is a necessity. Hearing the voice of God is not unusual and strange. Actually, if we see God rightly, not hearing His voice is unusual and strange. So I am the father of four children, Jack, Ezra, Evie, and Jonas. And because I'm their father, they're very familiar with what my voice sounds like. They can imitate me when I'm happy. They can imitate me when I'm mad. And everywhere in between because they're familiar with my voice. Why are they familiar with my voice? Because they are my sons and Evie is my daughter. It would be unusual if they didn't know what my voice sounded like. It would be unusual if they were raised in a home with the presence of a father that never spoke to them. That would be abnormal. That would be strange. And many would probably argue that would be detrimental to their own development. If we see God rightly, we see him as father. Because Jesus taught us to pray our father. We are the sons and daughters of God, which means we ought to be familiar with the voice of God in our lives. It should be abnormal to not hear his voice, not abnormal to hear his voice. Furthermore, it is a necessity to hear the voice of God, because if we don't, we will make ourselves vulnerable to the voice of the stranger. Now that phrase, the voice of the stranger, I'm using from John chapter 10. Jesus said this about himself. He said, you know, I have other sheep together that are not in this pasture. And then he says this, and my sheep know my voice and the voice of another they will not follow. Why will they not follow the voice of another? Because they know the voice of the shepherd. When we know what the voice of God sounds like, 
then it protects us from following the voices of deception, the voice of the enemy, the voice of the stranger. I've always heard this illustration talking about how to recognize counterfeit money. And the illustration is this, that when bankers are taught how to recognize counterfeit money, they don't take a course on counterfeit money. They handle real money so much that when they touch the counterfeit, they know there's something not right about this. They know that there's something just not exactly settling with me because I've handled the real thing for far too long. How do you protect yourself from following the voices of deception in the world? You get so familiar with the real thing. You get so familiar with the voice of God. You get so familiar with the voice of your heavenly father and the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, that when the voice of the enemy comes in, you're able to say, that's strange. That doesn't settle with me. Something about this doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem right. In the book of Acts, it talks about the apostles, that they would go to certain places and the Spirit just constrained them. There was something about it that didn't sit well with them. It is a necessity to hear the voice of God. Why? Because number one, as a son and daughter of God, for your own development, you need to know the voice of your Father. For your own understanding of your own identity, for your own understanding of your own purpose, you must hear the voice of your Father. Secondly, when you get familiar with the voice of God, it protects you from following the voice of the enemy and the voices of deception in the world around us that try to lead us away from the reality of God's truth. So why are we going to Psalm 29? Because in Psalm 29, it talks about the activity of the voice of the Lord. It talks about the fruit that comes out of hearing God's voice. Psalm 29 describes to us what happens when God speaks. Back in Hamilton, I, I'm part of leading a lot of prayer meetings. Delane and I together as pastors, we would lead prayer in so many different spaces. And if you're in a prayer meeting with me for any amount of time, at some point we're going to end up in Psalm 29. Why? Because I love praying about the voice of God. I love praying that people would hear God's voice because when they hear his voice, everything changes. So we're going to read through this psalm, and we may read it through once, and then I'll go back and highlight verses, or we may just stop along the way. We'll just see how this goes. Psalm 29, give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones, give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Now you may be reading verses 1 and 2 and think to yourself, I thought we were talking about the voice of God. The rest of the psalm is about the voice of God, but verses 1 and 2 call us to a place of sacrificial worship. Teaching us this, God likes to speak in the atmosphere of sacrificial worship. When we bring our hearts to him in a sacrificial way, it demonstrates our desire to hear his voice. It demonstrates our hunger to want to be with him. It demonstrates to him that his voice is the one that we're seeking above all others. So verses 1 and 2 call us to a place of sacrificial worship, and then the rest of the psalm is about hearing the voice of God because that is the atmosphere in which God likes to speak. Verse 3, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory 
thunders, the Lord is over many waters. Let's go back to the beginning of verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. Now, when you read that, you may be thinking to yourself, what waters? Do I just pick waters? There's a lot of canals right here in Manchester. Do I just imagine in my mind the voice of the Lord over those waters? Well, one of the ways in which you interpret the Bible is you have to use the Bible to read the Bible. In other words, when it says the voice of the Lord is over the waters, you need to think about, well, what does the Bible have in mind when it says the word waters? And your mind may immediately go back to the flood, Noah's flood, and that's not a bad place to consider because actually the psalm ends up mentioning Noah's flood a little bit later. But I think when it says the voice of the Lord is over the waters, it may have something even earlier in mind. I think it may be talking about Genesis 1, the creation account, where it says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says, and the spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the deep. What does it say the deep there? Because it's talking about this water imagery, this abyss of movement, and the voice of the Lord is hovering there. What happens as the, vo- as the, spirit, of the go- uh, as the spirit of God hovers over the face of the deep? Then God said, let there be light. All of a sudden, this hovering of the spirit then brings into action the voice of God and all that we see is framed by God speaking. So when it says right here in verse three, the voice of the Lord is over the waters, here's what I believe it's calling us to do. Realize that if we're not hearing his voice right now, it's not because he doesn't want to speak. It's because he's hovering, waiting on us to be ready to hear what he wants to say. If you want to hear the voice of God, you've got to learn to wait on the voice of God. Because he speaks in places where the Spirit hovers. The Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. I wonder what new things God wants to bring into creation in your life if you simply be willing to wait on him to speak. During worship, we talked about taking our hopes, our dreams, our ambitions, our plans, and laying them before the Lord in a place of sacrifice. And some of you may have been wondering, what does that look like for me practically? Sometimes here's what it looks like. God, I have a series of decisions to make about the trajectory of my future. I'm not sure which way to go. Rather than just simply being opportunistic and taking the first thing that looks good, I'm going to take these plans, and I'm going to put them before you, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to say, God, what route do you want me to go and as you are willing to wait on him to speak guess what he likes to speak into that environment just like he did in Genesis chapter 1 and he can frame the future when you are willing to wait on his voice that was verse 3 the voice of the Lord is over the waters the God of glory thunders that's a massive statement for another day The God of glory thunders, the Lord is over many waters. Now it starts off by saying the voice of the Lord is over the waters, I think calling to our minds Genesis 1. Then it says the voice of the Lord is over many waters. Why does it say the voice of the Lord is over many waters? Well, I don't know if you've ever heard this language used before to describe different cultural expressions of church. But a lot of times people will use the language streams. There are different streams in the church. There's more of a a prophetic stream. There's more evangelistic streams. There's more pastoral streams. There, there, There is this kind of flavor. And 
a lot of times water imagery is used to describe the movement of God through his people. And I love that this says, the voice of the Lord is over many waters, rather than saying the voice of the Lord is over a water. Because when John hears Jesus in the book of Revelation, he hears the one whose voice sounds like many waters. Meaning this, each church carries an aspect of God's voice. And if you want to hear the totality of what God's saying, you can't plug into one water or one stream. You've got to have honor in your heart for the many waters that carry the voice of the Lord. So we are called as a people to plug into a church, a community, for the sake of accountability, growth, relationship, while at the same time making sure that in our hearts we don't make our community the only community that has the advantage of hearing God's voice. We've got to recognize that our friends and the other churches around this city, they carry an element of what God is saying because His voice is the voice of many waters. Not just one water, but many waters. And when you are able to have a heart of honor toward other streams in the body of Christ, it makes you more well-rounded in what God is speaking to you. The voice of the Lord is over many waters, the end of verse 3. Now let's go into verse 4. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Now we're going to read the next verse to consider what that verse just said. Because one of the things you'll find in the Bible, especially in the Psalms and especially in prophetic books like the book of Revelation, is, is this. There are truths about God that will be said explicitly and then, and then the scripture will repeat that truth poetically. And the idea is that the explicit truth engages our minds, and then the poetic truth brings our hearts into the beauty of its reality. And so one example would be in Revelation chapter 2, Jesus says this. He says, to him who overcomes, I will give power over the nations. That's an explicit statement of reality. I will give you power over the nations. But then he follows up the explicit statement by describing it poetically. And he says, and you'll sit with me on my throne of authority, and you shall rule them with a rod of iron, quoting Psalm 2. And then he says this, and I will give him the morning star. I love that he didn't just say, I'll give you power of the nations. He says, I'll give you the power of the nations. Now let me describe it to you poetically, and I'll give you the morning star. Because it calls our hearts into the beauty of God's kingdom. So verse 4 says explicitly, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Then in verse 5, he describes poetically what he just said explicitly in verse number 4. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. Now, if you're not familiar with the cedars of Lebanon, that verse just kind of, you know, kind of goes right by you. And there are a lot of verses like that for me. Like, when it starts talking about places in the Bible and certain things, I'm like, well, I don't know what these places are. And they don't have a lot of meaning for me. But when you stop and consider the significance of what the Scripture is saying, again, all of a sudden it gauges your heart in a different way. So to describe the majesty and the power behind the Lord's voice, voice, Here's what it says in verse 5. The Lord breaks the cedars, not just any cedars, the cedars of Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon were known around the world for their strength and for their beauty. 
actually when King Solomon gets ready to build the temple, he spares no expense, but he gathers cedars from Lebanon in order to build the structure that then he will cover with gold. Because the cedars of Lebanon are known, kind of like the redwoods in California, probably not quite as big, but they're known for how large they are, how beautiful they are, and how deeply rooted they are. So when the psalm says, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon, what is it saying? I believe it's calling our attention to this reality. It does not matter how deeply rooted something is in your life. It doesn't matter how immovable something looks down in your soul. It doesn't matter what kind of difficulty or habitual problem looks like it will take years to chop down and uproot. One moment of hearing God's voice has the power to shatter the cedars of Lebanon. And so I pray often, God, your voice shatters the cedars of Lebanon. And people that may not know the scripture are like, what is he talking about? Is he lumberjack? Want to chop down trees? No. What I'm praying is that every deeply rooted issue would be confronted by the voice of the Lord. If you don't develop a habitual lifestyle of hearing God's voice, you will end up with deeply rooted things that will take you decades to dig out. If you don't have a lifestyle of hearing God's voice, there are deeply rooted issues that will go unchecked for decades until problems reveal them and then you try to figure out how to handle them on your own. But if you will stay in a place of hearing God's voice, he will in a moment... In a way, only he can, he can, through a whisper, begin to deal with deeply rooted issues and bring revelation about how to repent and how to come out of them. What I love about the episode where Jesus casts out a legion of demons is how easy it was for him to do that. So Jesus goes to this area called the Gadarenes, right on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in Israel. And when he gets there, there's a man that nobody knows what to do with. He is filled not with one demon, not with two demons, not with three demons. He, deal with a, he is filled with a legion of demons. And all of the other religious leaders so did not know what to do with him, they went and chained him up by the graveyard and said, we don't know what to do with you, just stay away from us. And when Jesus walks up, and confronts the man, it says that he cast out the demons with a word. A legion of demons was cast out with one word from Jesus because the voice of the Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. One word from God can dislodge issues you've been wrestling with for years. Now, that doesn't take away the need for walking in relationship and accountability to others to make sure your mind continues to be renewed in discipleship. But what I'm saying is without the voice of God, things can stay there for years that he can uproot in a second, in a moment, by speaking to you. All right. Again, we're not going to highlight every single verse. We're just talking about some of the fruit of what happens when God speaks to you. He makes them also skip like a calf, Lebanon and Syria, and like a 
young wild ox, continuing to speak poetically about the majesty and the power of God's voice, how God is able to deal with these things that look immovable. Now, I love verse 7 for so many reasons. One of them is it recalls to my mind Acts chapter 2, and maybe we'll describe that in just a moment. Verse 7 says, The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. Another way to write that verse is the voice of the Lord distributes the flames of fire. Now this is one of the most exciting verses in the chapter to me. And you may be thinking to yourself, why? Why do we need to know that the voice of the Lord divides or distributes the flames of fire? Again, let's go back to, or let's not go back to Acts chapter 2. Let's go forward to Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, they're all together praying. And what happens? They hear a sound on the wind. It starts coming in. And what is settling above every single person's head? Cloven tongues or divided tongues as of fire. Now, when I think of a tongue of fire, I think of you being baptized in passion for the message God's given you. A tongue of fire, a message, an assignment, a vocation, a call that God has given you and baptizing that in fire. What's amazing to me is on, in Acts chapter 2, they didn't all speak with the same tongue of fire. They were all given their individual tongue of fire because they all had a different assignment from the Spirit of God. So if all of them spoke with the same tongue, then only one people group would have heard the gospel. But because each of them spoke with the tongue God gave them, which was set on fire by God, now everyone dwelling in Jerusalem was able to hear the gospel in their language, in their own context. And here's what I believe about the nature of God. God's heart is so large, it's impossible for any one human except Jesus, it's impossible for any one human to carry, its to to carry it in totality. God's heart is so large, it's impossible for any one of us to carry the fullness of it. It requires each of us being filled with fire for our assignment for the full measure of God's heart to be fulfilled in the earth. So when it says the voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire, I believe what it's saying is when you hear God's voice, you hear your bit of fire. God's going to speak to you about stuff he doesn't speak to me about. Why? Because he's not trying to give me your tongue of fire. He wants you to have your own tongue of fire. He wants you to have your own assignment. He wants you to have your own focus. He wants you to have your own passion. Because when we all have our own tongue of fire, the whole world gets to hear the gospel. If you try to run in my assignment, then your assignment won't be fulfilled. And if I try to run in your assignment, then my assignment won't be fulfilled. But the only way you know what your tongue of fire is, is by hearing the voice of God for yourself. That's the only way you get your tongue of fire. That's the only way you get your bit of the flame of God's heart. The voice of the Lord divides, distributes, hands out tongues of fire. The flames of fire. Listen, I, I, I'm not opposed at all. I, just, just hear me in this. I'm not opposed at all to, to programs that help you discover spiritual gifts. I do them. I'm part of them. I am 100% for them. All right? Because they are good. But sometimes to get that deeper inner assignment, like that thing that makes you tick, 
on the inside, that can only really come from one place. And it's the voice of the Lord. Now God will use all kinds of avenues to speak to you about what that thing is, but it takes his voice for you to find your flame. And that is one of the reasons why it is a necessity for you to hear the voice of God. Because the voice of God divides the flames of fire without, in other words, let me say it like this. Without the voice of the Lord, the flame is not divided, which means we all just kind of generally kind of exist. Knowing that we're called as a church to do something, but not knowing our place in God's kingdom. And God's heart is not just for you to exist and be a part of a church that is doing something. God's heart, yes, is for you to be a part of a church that's doing something, but for you to know your place in God's kingdom and how your assignment is changing the world and knowing how your yes to God is releasing his flame through you into the lives of other people. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. Then verse eight, I love verse eight. And again, I know we're kind of bouncing all over the place thematically, but that's what this Psalm does. The common denominator is his voice, but his voice does so many things. So in verse eight, we get another thematic change, but still talking about what the voice of God does. Verse eight, the voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness the Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Again, sort of like, you know, verse number five about the cedars of Lebanon. Verse six may not mean a whole lot to us because we're like, it shakes the wilderness, shakes the wilderness of Kadesh until you kind of go back into the mind of Scripture and consider what happened and in the wilderness of Kadesh. The wilderness of Kadesh shows up in Numbers chapter 11, I believe. And right through the wilderness of Kadesh, they are on the edge of entering into the promised land, the children of Israel. They've waited a long time, like over 400 years since God spoke to Abraham, and now we're at this moment of going into the promised land. There's only one problem, though. As they're about to enter into the promised land, they have a negative report from 10 spies that says, listen, the promise is good. The grapes are good, the milk is good, the honey is good, but the giants are big. And I don't think we can take down these giants. So in the wilderness of Kadesh, they hesitate. Now in Egypt, the voice of the Lord brought them out, but in the wilderness of Kadesh, they hesitate and they don't go in. And it's at that moment they get sentenced to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness until God can grow them into the place of being able to take their promise. So when it says in Psalm 29 that God shakes not just the wilderness, but the wilderness of Kadesh, what is he saying? Every area in us that is intimidated, every area in us that hesitates to step into promise, the voice of the Lord will shake that and move us out of our fear. Move us out of our complacency. Move us out of our unbelief. Because what the children of Israel failed to recognize is that the voice of the Lord not only brought them out of Egypt, but the voice of the Lord was going to bring them into Canaan, into promise. And sometimes it's so easy to, to reach for the voice of the Lord when you need to get out of something. But forget that you need to reach for the voice of the Lord when you need to get into something. 
And it's the voice of the Lord that not only brings you out of trouble, out of pain, out of challenge, it's the voice of the Lord that brings you into promise, that brings you into fulfillment, that brings you into destiny. But again, you don't leave Kadesh until you, unless you have his voice. Why? Because in Kadesh, they didn't lean into the voice of the Lord, they leaned into the voice of man. And I'll just be honest. If you wait for the voice of man to affirm your forward steps, you'll be waiting a long time in Kadesh. If you wait on the voice of man to always come into harmony with the things that God spoke to you, you're going to be waiting a long time in that wilderness. And so they exalted the perspective of man to the place that they hesitate in Kadesh and spend 40 more years in the wilderness. But if you will develop this, this, this rhythm of walking with God in such a way that you're hearing his voice, his voice will infuse you with the faith you need to move forward into promise. You see, faith, I was listening to one time a message from Derek Prince. Some of you may know that name. And he said when he was a young man in the army, he was very sick and he was dying. And he decided to get his Bible and read through the Bible and highlight with a blue pencil every verse that talked about healing, health, and God bringing wholeness into our lives. He said, you know what I had at the end of that? I had a blue Bible. Because there's so many verses about that. And he said, but the one that caught me was in Romans where it says, faith cometh by hearing. Faith cometh, faith And he realized if I don't have faith, it can come. But the way it comes is by hearing the voice of God. So if you don't have faith to step into what God's called you to do, put yourself in an environment to hear his voice. Because when you hear his voice, faith comes to a heart that doesn't have it. So the voice of the Lord, yes, it does all this other stuff, breaks the cedars of Lebanon, all of this stuff, but it also shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. It shakes you out of fear and hesitation and moves you into faith and promise. Verse number nine. Verse nine is one of those odd ones, but I love it. And different translations put it in different ways, and I'm reading from the New King James this morning. I believe they have it there on the screen, but it it gives us such an, an odd mixture of themes in verse 9. It says about the voice of the Lord in verse 9, The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple, everyone says glory. And I'm like, how do these themes fit together? The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth which seems like a very tender, compassionate, intimate thing. But then it says, and it strips the forest bare, which seems like, again, that leader, Cedars of Lebanon moment, that like majesty power just ripping things to shreds, right? And then it said, well, everyone's like, glory. I'm like, how does this, how does this fit together? And one day this verse, as funny as it sounds, became revelation to my heart. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. In other words, his voice doesn't always come the same way. Sometimes it comes in majesty that is uprooting the cedars of Lebanon. Sometimes it comes, it comes with such power that it's stripping the forest bare. Other times it comes so tenderly and so compassionately that it is cradling a newborn fawn. 
and both of them are filled with glory. It's not one or the other. It's not the loud voice that's filled with glory and the small voice that's like God being nice, but it's not really glory. In the temple, whether he whispers or whether he shouts, it's both glory because it's the voice of the Lord. So if you're in a place where you're not necessarily wrestling with some kind of cedar from Lebanon and you don't need the forest strip bear in your life, but you are dealing with a very personal, intimate situation, he has something to say about that. He has something to say about the deer giving birth, about the fawns in your life, about those, those precious things that need to be guarded and can't be shared with everyone. God has something to say about everything in your life. And when you cultivate this rhythm of hearing him, you realize that he's not distant and far away and only concerned about speaking to you about the big things. He likes being involved in the intimate details of who you are. That's why I love the verse. Yes, he'll strip the forest bear when he needs to, but he's also present and attentive when the deer is giving birth, and both are filled with glory. Now, I love verse 10 because now we're getting back to the water theme. And we're almost done with the psalm, but now we're getting back to the, the water theme. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever. Now, we already looked at the water theme earlier on, which kind of pulled on the creation account. It pulled on the movement of God through his church. But now it takes us directly back to Noah's flood. It says the Lord sat enthroned at the flood. The Lord sits as king forever. Now, verse 10 doesn't specifically talk about the voice of the Lord. But now that we've gone through the psalm, now we're at sort of the conclusion, the fruit, what happens when we've heard his voice in all of these ways, the powerful ways, the tender ways, the dividing flames of fire ways, all of these ways now produces this fruit. In verse number 10, when you are anchored in the voice of the Lord, flood waters do not move you because you know he is king above it all. This psalmist is saying the day of the flood was a chaotic day. It was a day of judgment and destruction. But because I have cultivated an ear to hear him i am not moved by the chaos i am secure in his rule as king listen i don't know what the future holds in fullness i don't know what kind of shaking nations will go through between now and when the lord returns but here's what i do know if we're not going to be shaken by the shaking then we need to be able to hear his voice why because hearing his voice anchors our hearts in his authority it anchors us in his rule as king and it keeps us stabilized in what he's accomplishing in the earth so the psalmist was able to look back at this day of chaos, at this day of destruction, where humanity faced a dark moment. And this psalmist was able to say, because I know the voice of the Lord, I know that he's above the flood. He's above the chaos. He's above all of the shaking. And I find my security in his rule as king. When a people learn to hear his voice and they are anchored in his rule as king, what happens? Verse 11 happens. The Lord will give strength to his people, the Lord will bless his people with peace. The people who have the Lord's strength and the Lord's peace are the people who know how to hear the voice of God. Way too often, we, fight it, we try to find strength 
and we try to find peace without getting it from the voice of the Lord. But it's his, we were created to be dependent upon his voice. We were created to hear him. We were created to walk with him. And if we're not living in that way, we will not have the strength or the peace that God wants to give us because where he gives strength and peace is through the avenue of his voice. When we hear his voice, that's the way he gives us strength. When we hear his voice, that's the way he gives us peace. You know, Delane and I, we walked through a lot of emotional ups and downs in the move to Manchester. Of course, we were excited to be here, but there's so many practical things to figure out. It's just, whoa, it can feel so chaotic. Many of you have done international moves. You know what that's like. And on the hard days, though, we were so thankful to have the voice of the Lord guiding us. Why? Because if things in my life are chaotic, but I'm hearing him, I would much rather be in that situation than having everything placid and peaceful and not hearing him. Because our strength and our peace are derived from his voice. So chaos with his voice is actually more peaceful than peace without his voice. God wants us to be a people who are anchored in him. As the team comes and they prepare to, to lead us in a moment of prayer and worship at the end, I'll just give you two practical ways in which to grow in hearing God's voice. It's very simple, because some of you may be like, this is a lot to digest. What does that mean? What does that look like? What's step one? Where do I go home and where do I start? Number one, step one, it's so simple. It almost feels silly to say it, but you got to get in this book. you got to get saturated in Scripture. You got to get saturated in what the Bible says. Even if you don't understand it, it's, it's just, you got to get in the book. Why? Because when you read the Bible, you not only read what God said, you get familiar with how God speaks. You get familiar with the voice of God. You get familiar with how he sounds. You get, you get just, that becomes familiar to you because you've read what he said. And there are times where the Holy Spirit begins to impress something on my heart and I know it's him because I think to myself, that sounds like something God would say. How can he say that? If you know what God said, you can get familiar with what God is saying. So just get saturated in scripture. Just begin anywhere. Start in the Psalms, start in the Gospels, get in the Gospel of John. Just jump in somewhere and start getting familiar with the voice of God because again, scripture shows you not only what God said, it gets you familiar with how God speaks. So that's the first step. Second step, what do you do to start growing and learning the voice of God? Find ways to get into his presence. Okay? Find ways to get into his presence. You don't have to start playing yet. We will in just a minute, team. Find ways to get into his presence. <clears throat> when you are able to get into the presence of God, it's much easier to hear the voice of God. Now, for those of you that have kids, I don't know if you have this experience, but we certainly do at our house. Um, and my sons are sitting on the back row here, and they're like, Dad, I, we hate when you use this as sermon illustrations, but it just comes with the territory. <laughs> it happened again this morning, though, not with my oldest sons, but my youngest son. They want something from me, but they don't come and find me in the house. They are like, you know, two floors above me in their bedroom. Dad! And I'm like, hear this faint little cry. And I'm like, what? 
And they start asking a question that's coming muffled through walls. I'm like, I'm not going to strain my voice yelling back at them. And so sometimes here's what I say. Come and find me. Why? Because I want to have a conversation, but I want to have it face to face, not through walls. How do you hear God's voice? Now, he's good, and if you cry at a distance, there's a time and a place where he comes to find you. But we also mature to a place where we realize, I need to stop trying to hear God through three or four walls. But I need to go and get in his presence. And what I have found is, when you're in his presence, sometimes it's just about being with him. He doesn't say a lot. There's other times he's got a lot to say. But you never know what it is he's going to say until you're with him. One of the reasons why I love, come, one of the reasons why I love coming to corporate prayer meetings together with other believers is it's so much easier to hear from God. Why? Because you're in a place, you're in a space where you're going after him. That's why I love to do that every day, individually, personally. Just get into his presence. Why? Because in his presence, you can hear his voice. You were made to hear God's voice. It's not a luxury for the spiritual elite, is that it is a developmental necessity for the sons and daughters of God. Where do you start? Get in the book. And you'll discover not just what he said, but how he speaks. Get in his presence, because it's much easier to hear him when you're in the same room with him. If you would, stand on your feet.